I like cereal for dinner myself. I like cereal all all day, but vegetables <laughs> for breakfast is something we need in our country. Vegetables for breakfast? Yeah. <gasps> Never has there been a more Jason thing to say. Than- <laughs> Hi, welcome to Outrageous, our bi-weekly podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friends, Trisha in L.A. Hello. And Jason in D.C. Hello. How you doing? I'm doing great. You both have seen Endgame, right? Yeah. I, yes. have, not, I have not seen it yet. So. Oh. Oh. Everyone dies at the end. We know that's not true. I mean, Jason, it's really inappropriate that you haven't seen it. It's like- yeah. Someone told me that they were planning on seeing it next week. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't understand. I was like... I mean, they must be avoiding everything because apparently, what was it? I think the the producers said that you can start releasing spoilers on Monday. Next, first Monday. of all, I like that the producers think they're in control of that. That's right. cute. Yeah, they favorite. did request it, but they did request it, and people were shamed on public forums for releasing spoilers. So, yeah, but it seemed to work. Like, I mean, I saw the day of, but I'm surprised nothing leaked. Remember when that Harry Potter book came out? And within 10 minutes, they were like, Dumbledore dies. <laughs> and they posted all over social media. <laughs> That's horrible. Like I will someone... say, though, having seen it, don't watch any interviews. Because to be honest, they've been spoiling the entire movie as jokes and asides. <laughs> They're like, oh, this happens. And everybody's like, <laughs> and then it turns out to be true. So well, how was the quality in, within the oh, within the incredible? Know, oh, it was. OK. Yeah, it was incredible. The The final scenes were incredible. Okay. Like the climax of the movie was phenomenal. I mean, I, it was just I literally done. slept through part of part one. So, Wait, have, oh, it's, oh, it's much better than that. It's, okay. That movie was horrible. Uh, it's better. Um, I don't think it needed to be three hours, though. Oh, it's could three have been hours. Easy, oh. Could have been an easy two hours. Wow. There's scenes that I'm like, step, step. And actually, now there are people who are like, who just wants to pay to go in and watch the last hour? And everybody's like, <laughs> yeah, the last hour is the most cinematic thing you've seen in a while. I mean, I think it could have been three hours. I think it just, uh, I, once I got used to the pace, the story felt slow. And then I was like, oh, this is three hours long. By the time I reached the end, it kind of made sense. I was like, okay, I get it. Also, it's the last time. This is the last time. So, it also felt like okay, this was this is the end of an eleven year story. It can be three hours. That's fine. I can Isn't sit with this for a little bit too? longer. I'm not giving anything away, but I realize um, all the people who were missing were the people of color and the people that I cared about. Mm, that's not entirely accurate. All right. I mean, the people you care about, maybe, more. but it wasn't. Um, no, you saw the first one, right? You saw who disappeared. Yeah, you saw who disappeared. That wasn't all. That wasn't all people of color. It was Black Panther. It was basically all the people that had interesting stories. <laughs> like you know, like, like you I mean, have, okay, Trisha, like, no, 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 <laughs> there no, no, it is. No, 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 no. Like, this is the thing. This is the thing. You know, somebody wrote a um, somebody wrote an analysis about how, in some ways, this is like a deification of the white male. 
storyline all over again. And so, I mean, I'm going to read it more thoroughly, but I just, I was, I remember watching it thinking to myself, the first time I saw Iron Man, it was like, it introduced me to this whole new world. Right. And I was like, this is so exciting. So interesting. And then you realize you've been with these people for 10 years and it's very, it's almost like comparable to looking at like the political landscape and being like, get out of the way, new people, get out of the way. It's been nice, but come on in new voices new storylines, interesting ways of seeing the world. Come in, come in. Like that, I mean, I, I had liked them and I enjoyed them, but I was like, you know what? There's like a new world now. Let's have some new but isn't, things but, happen. I mean, the movie I mean, but ended, so, like the arc ended, like because it's, it's, it is what you said. But beyond that, it's also just, I don't know. It just, it's some parts of it felt racialized and some parts of it felt also very gendered. And I was like, this is really... I'm here with this. I'm hip to that. Hmm. So it was well, cool. Well, just to, you know, you, I can be shamed for not having seen it, but just to double down on the role reversal here with Game of Thrones. One thing I neglected to mention to you, I'll just mention, we actually bought a bigger TV just in time for the new season. Mm-hmm. And this week I actually bought the Oreos. The what? The Oreos. What? There's a special oh. Oreos pack for Game of Thrones. Why are you saying, oh, like that makes sense to you, Trisha? What? <laughs> I mean, oh, because I, I was like Oreos because I thought it was a show. And then I realized I remember that there's like an Oreo pack. And I was like, yeah. oh, okay, because I'd seen that Oreo GOT pack. And I was like, you know, I yeah. won't make it. Yeah, Habby ha- had like weeks ago was like, oh, see if you can find the Oreos. And I couldn't, like I was looking in supermarkets. And then the other day I was in a Target for a completely different purpose. And I turned and I was like, oh. There it is. Okay. So, I, I'm going to just intervene. Can we stop talking about Game of Thrones? Yeah, I'm done. Stop it. I'm done. No, because two weeks in you a row, deal. two weeks in a row. You could deal. You could deal. Actually, there's like a whole thing online about that. Like people who can't, who are like upset that, I don't know if they're upset that they don't watch Game of Thrones, but they're like annoyed about Game of Thrones. And people I, are like, it's fandom. Let it be. And I was like, listen, I, I get it. Because I can't say it out loud. I just look at it and go, Bite my lip and move on. I don't want to yuck anybody's yum. Like, I'm glad yeah. that people are enjoying it. I'm glad about it. That's great. I'm also looking forward to the moment when it's over. Just like Trisha, yeah. you said about these storylines in Avengers yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. that you didn't care for. Game of Thrones, I'm glad that it exists. I'm glad that it's ending. I can't wait to see what happens next. When does it end? I think three, like weeks, in three weeks. Three more weeks. Oh, wow. Ooh, that's good. We, got, we, we get to release from the summer. Okay. We can hold out for you all. That's how I felt. Oh, when, um, oh, thank you. I was worried. <laughs> this is well, how I what, felt. What would it look like if you weren't holding out for us? What, what, what then? What are you threatening? I mean, I would be trashing and bitching about you online like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> your restraint. This is how I felt when The Sopranos ended and when, um, what was that funeral show? The one that you like, Trisha? I Alan Ball's show? Six Feet Under. Six Feet Under. <gasps> I mean, that's a real show. Yeah, when that ended, I was like, okay, good, because I, I'm tired of not being in on the conversation on this. I'm just glad that it's over. Like, I'm glad people enjoyed it, but I was also glad that the moment was passing. Because there's, like, one conversation, you're like, oh. Yeah, I was like, I didn't see it. But did you see when? I was like, no, I didn't. Please let God let this be over. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read a cultural critique on that yet. I'm looking forward to one though. Game of Thrones? 
not just about Game of Thrones, but what happens when like essentially everyone is watching the exact same thing and what kind of conversations that breeds. So for some people, that's like exciting news. Mm-hmm. But then there's also just like a lack of diversity too. Like, what is yeah. it? I'm waiting to see if there's anyone that writes about that phenomena. I think people would be not so celebratory of that on some level. I I listen. I'm not a. I, a sub- I neither in, enjoy nor can criticize that. It's just yeah, that yeah. Yeah, um, when there's a moment where everyone is having the same cultural experience, that experience mm-hmm. has outsized impact on the culture yeah. at large, right? So the people who are writing Game of Thrones, like Jason referenced last week, like they're talking about racial and there's like some real world things like mm-hmm. the people who are writing that their opinions get to be broadcast to millions of people who, yep. because the show is emotional will hit them in a space that it wouldn't intellectually so they get to take it in without mm-hmm. passing through the same firewalls as we, when we receive information that's the only thing about these like cultural moments that i'm like Arr. it's like i think I about think game of thrones is a gateway drug to the next show that they really want to do i mean that's always true but it's the show about the Confederacy. What if the Civil? What if the South had won? I think they'll come back around to that again. What does the Game of Thrones have to do with that? It's the creators of it. Oh well, yeah, they've been working on that for three years now. They've been. They've been I think they've been trying to figure out how to do it. But I think people are going to go look at it. We had such a good time with Game of Thrones. We have to give them permission to do it. Oh, I don't know if that's the same audience. And those people already have permission to do it. They have fuck you money. They can do whatever they like now. <laughs> But there was a lot of pushback, and I think they were supposed to go back and retread and retool. And all yeah, that. they want to be successful. Sorry if you don't know what we're talking about. They, the people who made Game of Thrones, pitched a show. It's an alternate reality where the not that the South had won, not that they had won, because um, those stories are boring. I think this is the one. Isn't this the one? The alternate reality where the Civil War ends, and that the Southern part of the United States is given over to Black people, and they form their own government. Isn't that the no. one? You wish? No, it's actually the other. You wish? <laughs> no, that is an actual show. Yeah, but it's not that one. <laughs> hmm. It's about the fact that slavery doesn't end. Oh, that's boring. That's just so boring. It, it's like the ones when people say Hitler wins World War II. What happens next? Like, is that the Man in the High Castle? There's a series it's Man right now. The Castle. It's Fatherland. That. It's every other book written between like '85 and 2005. Like. <laughs> It's a way to activate nostalgia. No, it's a way to activate nostalgia. Like, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I just think it's a real boring idea. What if slavery didn't end? And it's and oh, it already sounds heavy-handed. Like, how is that a not, not a heavy-handed situation? That's well, I mean, it's basically that slave. The Civil War ended in a stalemate. I don't know what to do with any of that. I don't know. I, I'm bored by the concept. <laughs> I and I feel bad for all the black actors in there. I feel bad for all the white actors in there. I feel bad for the crew. It's gonna be like that um that commercial. What was that commercial that they just showed? Um, what's the commercial? Ancestry.com. Go on. Oh, when there was controversy about yeah, the slavery commercial. (laughs) Ancestry.com thinks that the reason why you have intermingling in your ancestry back in the day is because black women were sneaking off and running away with their white lovers. This was not a commercial. Explain. Yes, it was. No, it, no well, it absolutely was not. Yeah, it showed an interracial couple from like the 19th century, like as if they just got together in a romantic way, and that's why black person you have white blood, and it's like eh, that's not usually how it happened. 
and she doesn't speak the whole time. He's just running his mouth talking about how they're going to escape up north. And then I think she tries to speak and he like actually puts his hands over her lips to stop her. Like it's this wonderful romance. And we're like, mm, that's not how it happens. What are those moments? How did no one on the set say, wait, 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 wait. This that's, may that's not be always, a good idea. That's how it goes. Enough of this sleepy banter. Let's mm-hmm. talk about what we're talking about. So okay. let's jump into topics. Jason, you wanted to do this last episode, but we pushed it off to this episode. So now it should be even more exciting. Take us home. So this is, I have, I think, a very simple question, which is we have lots of ideas now. When I say we, those of us who I think are very much opposed to the way we see the current administration handling immigration. We have lots of examples of things we know we don't like, things that should not be policy or practice in our country towards people trying to come to this country or people who have come to this country, um, particularly those who have come without going through the typical legal channels. So we have lots of examples of what we don't like, but I am thinking about I'm thinking this is becoming like a theme for me is like when Trump is gone, you know, we will still need to have some immigration system, presumably like what is the right thing to do? I mean, it is a fact that lots of people have come into our country without going through legal channels, especially across the Southern border, although not, not exclusively. There are lots of people in the country who are here illegally and there are more, lots more folks trying to come into the country illegally. There are also people coming in, arguably legally seeking asylum that's another question about like what's the right process for processing those requests but if we stick right now for i guess my question is when it comes to having borders that you know people um cannot necessarily come in uh without going through the legal channels and or when dealing with the fact that there are people in the country who've come in without going through legal channels like what is the right policy what are the things we should be thinking about, concerned about. This question is too big, Jason. When you say right, you mean morally right, economically right? I think that's a question in itself. I mean, so so yeah. like what what should be the drivers of such policy? What is important? You know, morally is certainly something we talk about. Is that is that an important driver in the policy we come up with? Economics, you know, are there economic we we've, we've talked a little bit in the past about are there economic costs to having people come in um illegally so uh, that's even a question i think that that's a good question right there like what should be the drivers i think we have a sense of what the drivers are of the current administration and i think for good reason we're not comfortable with those but what should be the drivers when i think about this and i don't want to hijack this and shift your question but the question for me is always as we, in this moment in time, right, when we are so doom and gloom about immigration and how do we control it and all this other stuff, I mean, historically, these are people who have been screwed over by the American hegemony. And now it's just like, they're all coming home to roost, you know, at this point. And so for me, it's always like, do we, as like this first world superpower, have leave? Do we have room to be concerned about this in this way. Does that make sense? Like I, the article that you'd sent us written by, was it David from? Yes. 
you know, he lays he lays out his semi conservative. He's a conservative person. Yes, I'm yes, getting that from yes. the writing, right? Yes, he lays out the like immigration history and how it's going up and how it's changing the face of the country and how like it's going to affect all this stuff. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's going to affect all that. And if those people's countries hadn't been destabilized, we wouldn't be here. Um, and maybe that's neither here nor there. That's just a fact. But it gets to the, your question, Jason. Like, what's morally correct? To me it feels morally ambiguous to make immigrants the bad people or make immigration this kind of issue where it's like, what are we going to do? It's like, well, we did, which is why this is happening. Do you know what I'm saying, Trisha? I do, but I was, um, I think I thought about it in a really different way. I mean, I, I have a friend who's actually, who works um, in immigration and knows quite a bit about it. And so I was actually talking to her about immigration as an issue. Because in preparation for the podcast, I, I just kind of did an overview and a re- review. And I realized that there is no immigration crisis. Yeah. There's not a legitimate immigration crisis in the way that it's characterized. And so for me, what I, I'm left thinking about, if you move away from the idea that we're being overrun, right? Because um, Dan Crenshaw, I believe he posted an, a new video online talking about we need to come to terms and we need to come, we need to come up with an immigration policy. And he sat down and he was, prese- it, it's the Senator with the one eye, right? Yeah. And he, he sat down and he, he was, wa- he wanted to paint himself as someone that was really reasonable, but even in his reasonableness, he was just running with tropes that were fully untrue. Like the Southern border is overrun. People are, we're overwhelmed constantly. It's never been this way before. We have more immigrants crossing the border than we ever have, which is not true. And so it's like when you actually start to pull apart the very perceptions that we have been led to believe about immigrants, many of it is just, many of them are false. And so for me, I kind of just want to, I want to strip away the falsehoods so that you can actually have a conversation about the value of immigration, why we've um, gone back and forth with immigration through time, that we've never been fully comfortable with immigration, never, ever. And that this time around, it's just black and brown people, but we've been uncomfortable with different groups that, throughout history. And I just like, so, so it just, for me, it was actually really helpful because I was like, okay, get, give me some facts. And I went to my trusted sources, which are like Pew Center, immigration legal teams, but, you know, ACLU. But in a space where we have sort of fake news and people can introduce things that seem like it's real, I feel like we can't ever really answer the question of immigration until we get to the real meat of actually what's happening, which is who are the illegals in this country? People who came here illegally and then overstayed. And that's a larger number than the people that we perceive are crossing borders. So it's just like, those are the kinds of things that get in the way for me of dealing with this in a kind of rational way that you are attempting to do, Jason, which is like the post-Trump question, right? I feel like we can't ever get a handle on that because our very packaging of immigration as an issue is completely built on myth and fear. (laughs) And it's off. But we, we can't. Do you see the difficulty in getting there, though? Because the myths and the fears and the lies, they're generated because they we people want that to have a specific effect, right? Yes. They want things to happen. So it's like 
it's hard to pull that apart. Like you're not going to find, you're not going to be able to clear, clear the air in the room to see clearly because there's too many people who are benefiting from, you know, throwing the smoke bombs. Well, can I, can I, um, so let me, let me, so I want to pose the question maybe just a little differently, but in response to what you just said, Tricia. So uh, again, like right now there are really acute reasons why there are, you know, we, we have, visceral reactions to some abominable policies and practices from the current administration and, and really some abominable rhetoric. Um, yeah. But if you look, and I don't, I'm not an expert on this, like the person you talked to, Trisha, but if you look over the past like 20 plus years, it is the case. I think that these are, these are facts that you've had like thousands upon thousands of people either come to the country illegally and overstay, which as you said, Trisha, that's often the problem or people who've, you know, crossed illegally and, and stayed um, and we've responded to that. I mean, the, you know, we, we have the really heinous things with the current administration of separating adults and children as they cross. Now this crazy proposal of if you have to pay for an asylum, pay an asylum fee, which is just preposterous and kind of goes against the whole reason someone would need asylum. But anyway, put it, putting those things aside, you know, when Obama was president, we had at times like he had to... At, and not just Obama, I mean, going back many administrations, pretty much every administration over the past 20 years at times has had to send the National Guard down to the border at times mm-hmm. when the group, the numbers were getting very large of people trying to to get into the country without going through the legal channels. Um, tear gas being thrown. That's something that what I heard uh, in an interview that, um, with, with some expert that was happening on average once a month under the Obama administration that we were throwing tear gas into groups of people trying to cross the border. We were locking up teenagers under Obama's watch um, when they were crossing unaccompanied. We had that whole unaccompanied minor crisis. And and so currently, certainly the current administration, again, like I think is indefensible, but there, there has been some level of problem. Crisis may be too strong a word, but there have been real, there's been real pressure on the system and on our policies and practices with regard to immigration for a long time. And we've now developed, and maybe, you know, in the end that we'll all be better for it, but we've developed a kind of moral outrage that wasn't really there very strongly about how we're, we're responding. And some of those things are because of new practices. Some of those things are because of practices we've been doing for a long time, but now because they're couched in this awful racist rhetoric, et cetera, we're, we've developed some moral outrage. What I wonder though, then is like, what, what does, happen next. And I hear what you're saying, Trisha, it, it is hard um, to look through, uh, well, to both of you, what you said, it's hard to look through all of the awful rhetoric and all of the misinformation, but there's still a need for an immigration system or policy, right? And, and like, what does that, what does that look like? Like if, if we, if we now are no longer comfortable with locking kids up who come and come over unaccompanied, which, which I mean, yeah, that seems outrageous, but like, what do we do when kids show up at the border? unaccompanied you know if we're now if we're now outraged at the thought of throwing you know tear gas canisters and crowds of people trying to cross the border what do we do when large groups of people try to cross the border because it does happen but it don't the only what in my reading the reason why it happens is that you you constrain and you you mess with legal processes that already exist and so you actually manufacture a, a, a sort of an entry problem so it's like, you know, when you, it's like if you have a bridge crossing and then what you end up doing is saying, oh, I'm going to close four of these lanes and I'm only going to give you one lane. And then the perception then becomes that there's like a whole troop of people coming. 
Like that's mm -hmm. part of, I mean, cause that's part, one of the things I thought was so interesting is how during like the Beto and Ted Cruz moment, there really was this drumming up of like, there's a troop of people coming. They never came. What you did do though, was you, you set, you, you basically prevented people who normally would cross this border in a back and forth border town. You just prevented le people who legally do this every day from crossing. And then it created a lot of chaos. And then the news cameras captured it and it made it seem as if it was this, this mad rush. But really what was happening is you were presenting people who were go back and forth to work daily from, from crossing. And so my question is what parts of that is sort of manufactured? Cause you're right. I mean, there is, we have people, the perception is that there are people coming, there are more people coming, we're coming across the border, but that's actually not true. That number has been decreasing for years. And so one of the other things is that, yes, part, but also part of the reason why you have people coming is because of environmental, environmental issues in their own countries. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's a question to be asked is like, okay, what do we deal with people who are fleeing ravaged countries in the 90s and the 80s we had a process for that we took in tons of people who were fleeing war-torn countries we had a process for that we could similarly do that now we could similarly say to ourselves wow you're fleeing from um climate issues in your country you're fleeing from this let's create a process but what's happening now is that we've basically stalled and stopped engaging in a process and what i think is happening is that we're creating a rationale for imprisoning people because what you actually have is a government that has created contracts with private prisons to house these people. Well, okay. And so you could, you could theoretically have done what we did with some of um, immigrants who came from country. You could, you could send them to Minnesota like we did with folks who came from some African countries. You could, you could, you could send folks to different parts of the country. The country has room. That's the other thing. There's this perception that the country doesn't have room for immigrants. Oh, yeah, but it we actually, have a ton yes, of room. There's tons of room and there's this idea because part of it too, that's what I mean when I say we have to ask a fundamental question of the value of immigrants. And I think Americans have bought into the idea that immigrants take away from the country, which has been sold for a quite some years now. But if you look at people who are sort of celebrate open borders, they actually believe that immigrants will come in, revitalize dead towns, start new businesses, create actually need for certain services. So you actually then have to open up a new store. You know, like, and, and sometimes the actual question is maybe an immigrant won't even buy from Amazon because they may not have the things to buy. So they'd actually go to a local store and buy it. So even just the nature of the way maybe low income people navigate the world would necessitate that an immigrant community could actually help revitalize dead towns. And so that's like, that's what I mean. It's like, if you don't understand that that's possible, then any kind of entry of immigrants would be fearful. But if you believe, because we know that there are dying towns in the US, why can't those people be um, ethically brought into the country through a thoughtful process and, and, and sent, into, sent into small towns that are dying, relocated into small towns. Why can't that process happen in a thoughtful way? Well, I think, so the, So my question in response to that is, are you, do you think, Trisha, I, I don't think this is, I mean, this is an idea I think worth debating, but do you think the right answer is like, we should just have an open border at the Southern border? I, I think we, I don't think, I think we should have, um, I don't, when I say open border, people have this idea that I meant porous. 
But I think what I mean is I think that we should have consistent, transparent processes to allow people to enter this country. And, and then we should figure out where they should be located. Just like how, just like how we, um, we initially were dealing with refugees, but now people have all these sort of weird ideas about refugees. And so now we've sort of stalled in that process. I mean, and oddly enough, it's so weird. I was going back and doing reading and like, like Reagan was like supportive of immigration because he saw it as a driver. Yeah. But that whole idea of immigration, immigrants driving the economy forward has completely shifted. And I think even Democrats are sort of fearful of saying that immigrants do good things for the country. I think they're even fear, fear they, they have fears of even saying that out loud. I mean, that's what I mean when I say open borders. I think we, we need to articulate policies about, okay, you've been here, your family's here like the DACA. I think we need to make, we need to create a policy to allow those people to stay. <laughs> I don't think we should hold them hostage. That's what I mean. I think you can move forward on that. They have only lived here. What, what about the people right now across the border in Mexico who wanted to come in and we Whatever. cut a deal with Mexico and said, we want them to stay there. And so they're in camps there while we process their applications. Like I hear that what you're saying. You don't mean, what's that? That could be then thoughtfully, right? Through a process and a system. Because the question is how much money are we paying Mexico to house those people? It's a, I, I don't know, but I mean, th- this is interesting because I think there are a lot of people right now saying like, that's wrong. I think like the ACLU, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. is suing the Trump administration saying like, no, all those people should be allowed in. Like, it sounds like you're saying, no, not necessarily. It's okay for them to be temporarily in, in Mexico, but let's have an efficient process to determine whether they can come into the United States. Uh, yeah, I believe that. But the reason why I don't, sorry, I'll stop from the reason why I don't agree with this process right now is because I actually do believe that this administration has crafted this narrative around um, being overrun so that they can exploit these people and sure. house them in inhumane ways and not actually serve their needs. It's different if you're processing people in a yeah. thoughtful way and saying, listen, this town totally deserted needs people. Would you be willing to be placed there? Would you be willing to be relocated if that's the kind of thing that we were doing? But I don't think that that's what we're doing. I think we're actually building a model so that we can have a labor force that is involuntary. And then we can then access and contract out jobs to for these people. That's what I think is going to happen. I just feel like for me, I just feel like we're focused on the wrong thing. Because the way that I think about this sort of thing is like, now you both have spoken very much about, I mean, Trisha spoke very eloquently about like having like a consistent, systematic way to look at immigration and like some good ideas in there. But for me, the question always remains, well, like we said at the top of this, like Trisha, you said that there are lies and misinformation coming. Well, my brain immediately goes, well, we won't be able to do the things that you're saying because of the falseness, which then begs the question, who's benefiting from that? And if there are good ideas around immigration, some of which you both have laid out, then why can't we access them? And I, and I, that's the question for me. It's I'm not like, politically well, viable. People then, have, then people that's have the question. Shown, that's what well, I want to talk yeah, about. People have shown that if you, if you cannot, you can drum up, a lot of negative sentiment against groups of people if you use immigration as your touch point issue. So let's talk about that because that's that's why we're not going to have sensible immigration policy because there's something else at play here. 
But I do want to say, I mean, part of why I pose this, I, I think we have a shot. There's going to be a point when the pendulum swings back. Like that is going to happen. This administration will end. And yeah. whether it's the next one or the one after that, you know, we will have a democratic administration in place. And because of the, I think, I mean, again, this is the unfortunate, but long-term maybe positive impact of this awful administration is I think we will um, be able to take on some of the issues we haven't before. And I just, it makes me think like, I think there will be an opportunity to have sensible immigration policy, but will we actually be able to have that conversation? I think we can. I mean, one thing that's interesting to me is I think if I'm not mistaken of all of the democratic candidates, Julian Castro is like the only one who's had any like meat on the bone of immigration policy. And his thing about, you know, there's the whole, all the rhetoric around catch and release and all that stuff. And his, 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 plan there is like we shouldn't be incarcerating people but they should wear ankle bracelets now some people may disagree with that but like now by the way i mean let me say this a little ankle bracelets. are they prisoners what is the are they point? are they that's like, what i'm trying to figure out are they like, okay and, and maybe i'm dense right maybe i'm dense what is the point of this like what what's the end point so people come in that, you know, it's a fiction that they're taking away from the country, not an entire fiction that's more complicated than it seems. But, like, why exactly are you putting ankle, ankle bracelets, bracelets on them? them? Like, what is to, to what end? Well, what no, end? I think my understanding is so when you have someone who comes in illegally or overstays their visa, okay. they gotta go to court and you know, they have the opportunity to try to make their case as to why they should be allowed to stay versus be deported. And you know, that the Trump administration's argument has been. And there's there is a grain of truth in this. Like a lot of people, you know, go to court, or, you know, get arrested and show up to court, and then are told you have to come back in 30 days, and they just never come back, and we just like let it go. And I don't think that happens in the majority of cases, but it certainly happens. And so, you know, that the, that's the Trump administration's argument for like we got to incarcerate these people. And I think Trisha, <laughs> certainly, your point is right. What I'm asking is, you overstay your welcome. Are you a, are you a drain on the system? Because most because the other thing is like for people that there's always the fear that oh my god they're they're a drain on our benefit system which they're not because they're not able to take advantage of yeah the benefits and they benefits. pay taxes yeah so the question so for me it's like okay is it about a sort of like legal maneuver like you've done a bad thing and so we're going to punish you that seems sort of strange as opposed to okay you've overstayed your welcome we are going to send you back home or we're going to create a process for you to stay. Like, why is it punitive? That's the part, you know, that's the part of it. I don't really understand. It's like, that's why I'm saying yeah, there's this whole really, language around really immigrants. That, yeah. We're, yeah. we're like uncomfortable with the immigrant then. Do you know what I mean? Like, and if we can't, it just, it's, it just, I think what it does is it creates a landscape for exploitation. It, it right. does that, but let me just play devil's advocate for a second, yeah. just in the sense that... Yeah, we need a devil's advocate because we've all been agreeing with each other for the past 20 minutes. Well, <laughs> well no, I'm just no, trying this, to suss out the details of it, though. This like, is where, is I mean, what, what, so I'm going to say two things. One, Trisha, like when you've when you've made the case that like we need, we just need a sensible you know, process, the challenge there is someone, if someone actually overstays their visa and is basically, you know, staying in the country not going through a proper process, like what is the right response? Is it deportation? And deportation, like 
with a lot of folks, for understandable reason, never plays well, right? I mean, Obama, the Obama administration was known to deport a lot of people. And there were people who had big problems with it. I mean, there were people on the left who were very critical of the Obama administration, saying like, you know, he was splitting up families and and deporting people. And so it, it becomes very difficult. And that's why. And so the other thing that I was going to say, I mean, I, I, again, I'm no expert on this issue. The one time I've like the one time I've been in immigration court is I had a student whose family had come here from Ghana and her brother, her older brother um, was caught selling drugs. And when he was caught, the court found that the whole family was well beyond their visa. Mm -hmm. And so there was an effort to deport them. Um, Now I went to at least one court proceeding um, and it was interesting because the family kept finding ways to like delay any action. Sure. Um, and again, like it's, I don't, I really don't know what the right answer is here. Like I was very invested in this student of mine and trying to make sure she, you know, went to college and that kind of thing. And yet like this family had clearly violated our immigration process. So like that sensible process you're talking about, like they had overstayed that brother had committed a serious crime. And so, and brother could go home. Brother can be deported, but family need not be. That seems like it's punitive. On, you know, I mean, I think. Listen, I think you. Well, I we, think thoughtful I mean, people can agree. This is the thing. Thought because we listen. We're Jamaicans. They used to deport Jamaican criminals, and Jamaicans would be like, "You're an idiot. You went to the land of opportunity. You did idiotic things, and now they deport you." We don't feel bad for you. Like, there's a sense of like you've engaged in criminal activity. There's a reason why someone can decide that you don't belong, deserve to be there, but the, but in some sense, the extension to the other family members, like I just it it just to me the whole thing seems strange. It's like I'm not saying that it's okay for people to flout the law. That's not really what I'm saying. But someone overstays. The question is, why do people overstay? Do you create a do you create a um a sort of laborious process for them to figure out how to extend? Or is it um, is it um, is it costly? Like, is that what it is? Because for some people, that is what it is. Um, like, what is that process like? Because I just I just feel like you can be a little bit more mindful about this without having to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yes, you could send away the criminal son, but at the end of the day, there are rules and there are laws. So that's even the if challenge. the process, even if the process is easy, right? Um, we have a president who doesn't follow. Even, even if the process is just coming in and push this button, there are people who are not going to push the button. Sure. Then what do you do? You so, don't have to do so, anything about it. Well, then we don't have laws. And you, then you don't have a process. Then right? we have open borders. Yeah, then we don't have a process. Listen, there are processes that are low level and high level. Okay. Low, low, low. I don't want to get locked in that because my point is, is that at the end of the day, there has to be a reaction to to laws and rules if we, if we, if we break them. Right. So it's like anything else. Like if we enforce that you drive on the right side of the street, but do nothing when you drive on the left, then all is chaos. And if that's what we're okay with, that's yes, exactly. If that's what we're okay with, that's what we're okay with. But you can't say, Oh, our immigration policies are too harsh. Like let's make the process easier and easier and easier because at some point, it's a process. Right. And at some point we're going to have to tell people, no, you did this wrong. You didn't, entered the way that we'd like you to enter and now we have to do there has to be a consequence or we're advocating for open borders no we're not see that's the thing it's not open borders my god okay well that's what i'm asking no because it's like 
you can have a process, but the pro- we know our processes are punitive because the end game isn't to let someone comfortably stay there. The end game is to humiliate them in part of in, in the doing of it. It's not about the rules. We see people break rules all the time and they get away with it. It's about making this space uncomfortable for a certain group of people so that we de-emphasize and your willingness and the welcomeness of the country. I don't, I mean, I don't think that, I think that people make thoughtful decisions about what is possible. There will always be some that flout it for sure. But I think that for the most part, I mean, the same thing I try to do with someone who doesn't drink and drive. If you happen to catch them, put them in jail. But a lot of people drink and drive and they never get caught. I just, I think the idea of just sort of focusing on the ones who just necessarily flout the rules, they do. There will always be those. But I think that, that there will be also a large chunk of people who will try to abide by the rules and you can take them through a process. But oftentimes what happens is it's laborious, time consuming, expensive. I've, I think okay. I had an so immigration friend who was doing that. And so that's gone around an entire lap because I didn't disagree with anything you just said. My thing, like when Jason said the example of his student, right? The yeah. son, the son did something stupid, and then it was discovered that the parents had overstayed the entire family had overstayed their visa. Now, yeah. now, if we assume that that process is laborious, right? And that's why they did it in the first place. Suppose that they deported the criminal the and they told the family, you have this process to do now will even help you and they don't do it it's there like, has to be a reaction sure, to that I mean, right the interesting and thing that, is, yeah i guess so i guess i mean so you well, said the, so you're wait wait hold on a second so you're you, you say you guess because i i brought up open borders before you're like no no not open borders but if there is no consequence it's not an open then we border, don't though. okay you can't there, use, don't use the term open borders okay. because the open border thing really suggests the fluidity that i think is um is, My, is, is, where is do been, we draw the line? Is, no, you're using that's conservative language. What lines? What lines need to be drawn? No, I mean I I agree with Chris very strongly. No, I I got lost there. I got lost because I don't because then because you were talking about I'm, a process and I'm trying to find out what what what, trying, what happens when the process drops out. Like you can't. Wait, can, can I wait, is, Trisha? Can I matter? What is the process matter to you? No process. That's what we're saying. I'm not saying no. The thing is, why is it no process? Like, wait, we go wait, from wait. like yo, no, no process. No, but Trisha, I, let me let me ask you this. So, you know, you had said that you potentially the approach of having people, you know, in Mexico awaiting a process is okay. Let's say one of them gets up and crosses the border. Yeah. They were there waiting, like the let's say you know, there let's just say there are a thousand people mm-hmm. in camps waiting. One of them gets up and crosses the border. Mm-hmm. Should there be any response to that? They should hide. No, I'm talking about from the government. Like, should they should, should, the, should the United should hide States as, best as possible because the United States didn't engage in a real process? Because no, the, the reason I'm why, saying, listen, the reason people fake the border is because there's not a real process. No, I said there if there is a real process, you're okay, not well, engaging with the, the scenario. Thing, the, question, the question I'm asking you all is. Why are you all focused on the criminal element in this? Do you see what I mean? Like we're t- we're trying to figure out what is real immigration, and all you all can think about are the quote unquote rule breakers. It's like when we t- if we were talking about welfare, 
It's like thinking about the person who exploits the welfare system. So like, you're not going to answer my question. No, I won't answer. It's, it's, no, I'll answer it because you guys so are rude. The they're all about the rules. But I'm just saying, you are. We're trying to have a conversation about immigration, and all you can focus on is the one person who breaks the rule. You're not I, I don't thinking about think the I focused on one person. I've talked about thousands no, of people. But. No, but you're talking. You're focusing on the people that folks perceive are making this possible. This this process impossible. You're not talking about what's really happening to most people who are trying to do it legitimately. You're focused on the one or two or three or a thousand my to basically is, drum up a feeling about that. No, like, my question is, what is we should, we should what is move the, on because Trisha's not going to engage with my the question. Que- my so. question is, what does legitimate look like? No, you're not. Trisha, you're Trisha, the question. What does legitimately look like? I think that's the question Jason and I are adding to. What does legitimate what, look what, like? What, is, what, what, do you, what do you all advocate? What would no, you no, no. What is, what is no, 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 no. What would you all advocate? I'm not. Well, that's the question on the table. I'm playing with that something. idea. No, I told you what I advocated, but you all find it displeasing. So you need to tell me what you want to have done. That's all I'm saying. You need to tell me because what I'm saying, what you all want is a punitive process for the person who breaks no, it. That's what, that's what Jason asked me. He's like, what, what should happen to that person? No, I, what should happen to that, I asked you a question. That doesn't mean you. you're telling me what okay. I want. Okay. No, okay. Okay. I told, okay. you, I told okay. you I didn't want anything to happen to them. Everyone you to your corner. not enough. No, Everyone I didn't say that's corners. enough. That's, Jason? Just, that's open borders. Like, that's what it is, which Every- is fine. Like, I think, let me just say, sorry, Chris. If I asked the question authentically, if that's where people really are, like I think that's an interesting concept to talk about. I think if in the end, people who come illegally and stay, if there's not a response, I'm not judging it. But if we're not going to respond, if we're not going to deport, then we have open borders, which I think that's worth discussing. I mean, we're beyond or over time on that's, this, so maybe another time. I was. That's what I was saying too. Like I, I agree. I was. That's what I was saying too. Like I'm not. I'm not saying. Listen. The, if, the, if we have a process, we don't have a process. I started at the outset. Like I was quiet in the beginning of this because I was weighing this in my mind. I wasn't sure where to come down to because I don't know what immigration means like on a larger sense and on a practical sense. Like if it's just that people get to come in and they get to stay and they get to do whatever, I'm willing to discuss that. Like I don't know what that looks like economically, but I'm willing to be educated because I think that's an interesting idea. Um, I'm not out to punish anyone for being here. That's That's not it. It's just that there are rules and laws that exist and it should we want to change them. We just have to understand how they're working now. That's all. And that's what I, my, those were my questions to you, Trisha, was that like, listen, if people are overstaying their visa visa and they're not criminals, then what does that mean? If, if, it, if there is no response, then we don't really have an immigration policy, which I'm not judging that either. Uh, that's what, that's what we were weighing. No one was except, saying that we except, wanted to punish people from coming in. Except I said, I don't think that's a problem. I said, unless someone has done something wrong. and So we all agree. No, but that's what I was saying all along. I said, I don't think you should do anything with them. Unless okay. I said, I said, get rid of the sun. But then I was like, there's nothing to be done. Right. But like, I, I just think but that was then that then we all agreed. That's then I wanted. That's why I want to take the conversation to. OK, well, what does it look like that we have open borders and people can come and stay without consequence? That was my question. Because oftentimes people come the the the, the road to getting in is difficult enough. Sure. Right? But, so, but so it's so not it's about not, taking so people out. We're moving past so that. But but the question, but that's the that's the observation of open bordering, right? Is yeah. the fact that like people think you, your gates just open and people are coming in. But what normally happens is someone comes in, they establish a life here, they do what they need to do, 
and they start to live here and they start pay taxes and they start to do whatever they're doing here. Mm-hmm. And then people say, well, no, you've overstayed your welcome and blah, 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 blah. And I need to get you out of the country. Why? Why? What? What's the rationale for it if you are a contributing member of the society? If you're not a contributing member of the society, you can make a distinction about that. And you yes, can say, I know, I there, there, is a ra- you. there is a rationale, which is, I mean, again, it's a, it's a policy decision to make. I mean, the, the thing is, if we're telling some people you have to go through a process, but mm-hmm. others, if you just come and make a life here, you can stay, then, you know, it, we don't have a consistent policy. And right now, I mean, if we decided we were going to say, you know what, no more process. If you can find your way here and you can make a life here and you pay taxes, you don't break the law, you can stay. That's an interesting policy you know, decision. It would be interesting to see whether, because I totally agree, like our country is not overwhelmed with immigration. It would be interesting to see whether we'd become overwhelmed, like if a lot more a lot more people were willing I to mean, come. Whatever that means, I, and that's the thing. Like that's the thing. I I don't think I'm very well educated. Like Trisha said earlier, like immigrants coming to the country are helpful in some ways. I'm sure it's hurtful sure. in other ways. I'm not well educated on those things. I'm going to be honest with you, right? Um, and but there's not, like, so- there's not a single process too, though. I'm not I'm not advocating a single process because what we do now is we have multiple processes. Actually. Sure. Yeah. Right. And so multiple inefficient processes, clearly. Yeah. But also, but also the thing that we're not saying is deliberately inefficient, deliberately inefficient. That's what I was saying in the beginning. We weren't. That's what I was saying. I was like, why? But, but we get here, but this is, this is the part of it where I'm like, and this is what I'm saying. This is okay. This is why I, I moved away from the punitive thing, because what I'm trying to say is I believe that we think of immigrants as people that we can house for cheap labor. And so we deliberately create a horrendous process for particular ones, for refugees. We There used to be a refugee process, but we saw that for a while. We then wanted to stop having refugees. And then I think we finally decided to, I think, I think two courts, um, Pushed that pushed away whatever attempts Trump was having to limit some immigrate some refugees. So we now let that happen, but we don't have a refugee process for the border where many of those people are actually refugees, mm-hmm. right? And so we've stalled that. And so what we're saying is now we're housing refugees, and we're asking neighboring countries to house them. But the weird thing is the people who are housing them are private contractors that our friends in Congress are friends with. Do you see what I mean? So it's like no one does anything unless they're making money. But you know what I mean? So in some ways, what we're doing is we are we're instead of having an immigration process, we're having a kind of prison process. That feels very American, yeah. 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 Do you know what I mean? It's extremely American. And so that's the part of it that's interrupting any kind of conversation that you can actually have about immigration. Is because, like, yeah, we did have a refugee process, but we decided we don't want one anymore. And well, we've decided that we actually don't believe they're refugees when there's actually proof that they are refugees because yes. they're fleeing town. And we need to move <laughs> on. But that was we we lapped around twice because that's the point that I want to talk about. It's like, OK, great. So what does it look like if we don't have the process anymore, if we let people come and stay? That's what I wanted to get to because I feel like we got there. You know, like we we all agree, we agree that the the process can be punitive. It's laborious. It's confusing. Like we do it because we, there's all ulterior motives. Great. So if we're going to talk about rational policy, is a rational policy letting people to come in and stay. That's what I wanted to get to. 
Because I think that that idea is very intriguing to me. Well, I mean, we we created different groupings all along. I yeah. think it's just that but, yeah. at some point in time, and in like we all we can do, we can look back at past policies. We we had like H, which is the HB one visas for people who wanted to work here. Um, mm-hmm. Then we, I think, what we wanted to do was stop family immigration. I think that, I mean, the other the other policy that people want to do is skills immigration, which I think is kind of weird. We've but, always done that, though. That's not yeah, new. That's We've always done that. that. It has a weird that, name. The H one visa, alien with special powers. Yeah, what is it called? The alien visa is about skill, but you know the other one where it was about if your family member was here, they want to turn that into skills as well. So only yeah. skilled family member would. Right. Or or like uh, or like a wife or sibling or like a child. No no other extenuating family members. Well, um, you know, and I guess okay. I mean if you can manufacture a group of people, I guess I mean who knows who's going to contribute? Who's to well, say? <laughs> and I just we I don't we should move on. I just we have to. We, so I, we're not going to discuss the question I'm about to pose, but the interesting question comes up. So let's say we have a process. Anybody who comes here. Can stay. You know we're gonna have to discuss this question. You think you're you're gonna say this, and we're both just. I'm gonna, gonna, I'm gonna say it, and then we can save it for another episode. Mm-hmm. Sure. That's, the question. Let's see how that the goes. The question it elicits is like, what is what does citizenship look like? Like, does everyone who comes get to be a citizen? What's that process? And you know who gets to vote? Um, because you certainly don't want a, a situation where you have people here, which we have this system now for decades, who like are not able to fully participate. So. What do you mean? Are not All able right, to let's move on. Or not able to no, vote. Like, no, 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 like not able to vote. Like no, not able no, to no, vote. No, they're not able to vote, or but they because we have people who are citizens who don't vote. No, I know. I'm talking about people who okay. are not citizens and have no path to citizenship. Like, what does it look like when suddenly anyone who comes can have a path to citizenship? Like, I think you can actually do that, but like it I raises some new questions. You just well, do it that, like Black Lantis. No. Do it like um, <laughs> Citizen Lantis. <laughs> Well, you know, Jason, your question is what I've been trying to pose <laughs> this entire segment. I've been trying to pose that question. I, I'm really i I want to explore why we have the rules the way that they have. I want to know why we have like these quotas and different systems. I it's just like we we are very interested in controlling immigration. And what if we just didn't? Like, I don't, you know, an open borders, whether that's a bad word or not. Like, that's what I'm David, describing. I think I'm David curious. Trump told you. I think David that- Trump told you why. Yeah, because I, it, it changes our definition of what America is, and this uh, is and, and, and I'm fine with that. So if that's I'm, it, I'm I know, but you know, not everyone is the reason. I know, I know, not everyone is. Prison, like, if you're asking me, and we have an immigration okay. crisis because people told us in 2020 or 2050 the That'd country be too many would brown be mostly people. Hispanic, yeah. and that is why we now have this space where we're going to really work and hard. The, and there it is. That's that's the first thing I post in this segment. It's like, why do we have it this way? That, but then, yeah, that's why. That, it's white supremacy. But you but you see what's interesting is, did you see the conversation we had? Yeah. We ended up having a conversation about how do we punish the people who stayed mm-hmm. and who broke our rules, even though the rules itself is somewhat arbitrarily applied. That's fine. But that was never my point. My, I never said, how do we punish the people who stayed? I just wanted, I was exploring with the two of you um, how you both felt about people who overstayed and what should happen to them. And if the answer was nothing, which is what I was secretly leaning towards anyway, I was curious how that would play out in America. That was where I was going for. Not I, how can we punish people who can stay? Like I need, we need to have a, promise, a, pro, a process that's as punitive as possible. Well, that's and so not where I was coming from. And so let me just say, what's frustrating to me about the Democratic candidates right now 
is none of them are where we are right now. They are all, you know, th- their talking points are there is a crisis. We got to have Which, secure borders. So from right there, right there, I'm out. Like from right there, I'm out. But like even How can Julian Castro, who says that, who's probably the most, the furthest left, so to speak, when it comes to immigration, even he is still basically supporting our system. Well, you know Just what? It's because they do it they, more humanely. But I think what happens is th- it's like it's like the fact that we now say pro-choice and pro-abortion or any of those whatever words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people have people have um, accepted the landscape that has been crafted in shape for them, which necessitates that we think about immigration as a crisis and as a problem to be solved. Well, it's also because they're like trying they to capture the- votes of white working class people who. But I think what. Trisha's saying is that they've created the box and now we all have to think inside. And now we're living in it. So it's not like, it's like we need someone who did what Elizabeth Warren is trying to do around certain things. Like, what if we don't think about immigration that way at all? What if we thought about immigration entirely differently and introduced it as a platform? Because one of the things that's interesting that people are talking about skilled immigration, you have to be super careful about skilled immigration. Because the idea is that really low skill workers actually really help the Americans create a middle class, right? And if you if you take in the wrong skill level, you might actually do the thing that people have always feared, which is they replace the American worker, right? I thought it like that before. Yeah, you have that's to calibrate it. Wow, that you have to calibrate it well, and that's that's been the thing. The assumption is that if you bring in enough low skill workers, they will work. They will do what they need to do. They will create a marketplace for Americans who actually have a certain skill level and acuity. When, when you think about it, yep. it's really all like these graduates from India and China that we should stop from coming. No, you still need those because actually our education system is so poor. We don't so, graduate. I was going to say, we don't teach our kids math or science. So we need those people so, to come in actually, and do math. What you need is, you, you, need, you need low skill and you need very high skill. And then you have Americans that land in the middle. And then they, they hold those two people. They hold the two people, right? So That's really what happens. If, if immigration is changing the face of America, given what we just discussed, I'm I'm here for it. Come on, people. <laughs> this is not a way we should be existing. Make your kids memorize multiplication tables. Make them memorize them. Was that your point of this whole was that just to get <laughs> yeah. here, Jason? Just to is get there. The yeah. Multiplication. Well, I mean, I, but you know what? I think Jason, you asked the question. The question around immigration is fundamentally not about immigration as a crisis, but who is an American? That's the fear that triggers everyone is because then America it become America looks different and becomes different. And even our Democrats maybe are uncomfortable with that because we see that they have a difficult time even embracing the fact that they're the party of people of color. So I I mean I still think right now the problem is the Democrats are so focused on thinking that they need to not they they need to speak to this this white world class person that they assume is racist and doesn't want immigrants in the country. I'm serious. I think that's what's happening. It's very frustrating in my opinion. Well, you know, maybe you can tell them you can tell them a platform. Working class guy, working class guy and immigrant actually makes you better. They don't take from you. They add to you. Listen, but listen, after all the work they've done in othering and and browning people, there's that's not going to be received well i don't think i think we're over 
the line in coming back in an intelligent way about immigration because America- would be over the line in intelligence about anything. That's what yeah. well, actually, you know what? No, let me, t- let me let you guys know. No, because my friend that I talked about, she was yeah. talking about the work that she did in, Ca- in California and really what they were able to do was reframe people's thinking about DACA. The effort, the fact that they're highly educated, you can reframe th- people's thinking. It's a lot of work, but you can reconceptualize of who those folks are that in some sense they were victims. See, but the you know you can craft the narrative around it. About DACA, when you talk about it, is that you're talking about like DACA recipients um, in opposition to other kinds of immigrants. Sure, right? sure. But, but that was but that was the campaign that she had to do. But I think it's important. But what what I think the point is that you can reframe how people think about different groups of people, right? Yeah. I mean, that you're right. That does give me hope. I just do think that conversation is easier because then you still just have like the rank and file <laughs> to compare the DACA person to. Be like, they're not like those people. I mean, we have to, we have to start. We have to start. <laughs> they're a large group. So if we, yeah. if we can move away from having them be held hostage by this immigrate, the failure to have an immigration policy, Anyway, it's just crazy. I, mean, I don't know. I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. I want open borders there. Uh, I, I hello. Borders. You know, that's what. That's also what killed Hillary. People were convinced that she wanted open borders. Well, of course. I, I think the term true. is, and I think the term is is really, it's too. It's a wrong. It's a bad term. People don't like anything open. <laughs> Which <laughs> you have to call it something you know, different. Like, you have to call it something different. Like it's like when um. Or <laughs> The crazy, um, there was a crazy guy um, by the surprise Fox News building in Midtown the other day, and he had a whole table out. And it's like, you know, who's that guy they're always telling you to vote for? LaRouche, some crazy man. Yeah, Lyndon LaRouche. Yeah. Lyndon LaRouche, like, vote for him. And they were like, Obama and, and his people want a one world government. They're trying yeah. to build the, the one road, and there's like a map of the world, and someone had driven like a highway as if there was going to be a highway that goes from Eastern Russia straight through Europe to over the Atlantic. And I was like, this is so crazy. That'd be awesome. But it would be awesome. But the fear, the fear yeah. that there would be one world government is really threatening to people. When I'm just like, well, wouldn't that just fucking make sense? You know what I mean? Wouldn't that, I don't know. You know, but like the, the fear of that when you when it doesn't seem to be objectively a bad idea. Like objectively. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, but so th- that's the thing. Like some people are just rooted there. Like, oh no, open is bad and united is bad. And the rest of like I don't know where those ideas come from, but they persist. I mean, well, I think it's kind of evolutionary. We're wired to be afraid of losing things, however little we have. I mean, and we have littler and littler by the day. Okay. Um, so I'm going to move directly to media recommendations, which is something you've seen, heard, read, or experienced you think other people should see, read, hear, or experience. Trisha, you're up. Oh. Um, I read a book that I've been thinking about for the last couple of days, so I think it's pretty resonant. Um, it's called Ghosts in the Schoolyard, Racism and School Closings on Chicago's South Side. And it's by Eve L. Ewing. Why do I love this book? Um, she's a sociologist. And so what she chooses to do is to focus on the closing of three schools in Southside Chicago. And it's done over four chapters. Chapter one is about the closing, just sort of 
presenting it as it happens. Chapter two is a history of why the schools ended up the way they ended up. So it's a history of schools in Chicago. Chapter three is um, a deconstruction of the experience um, by all the people who experienced it. So the parents, the kids, the administrator. And part of the way that she does this is like is a textual analysis of um, the um, the conversations that ha- were happened at the schools. So, you know, sometimes when you have a hearing about what's going to happen, da, 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 all these different people give their reports. And so what she does is she goes through the hearing and then she basically analyzes how people talk about the school. And what she's able to demonstrate is that how parents talk about the schools and how the kids talk about the school tells you what makes the school not a failing school in those people's eyes. And then the administrators who have to rationalize why they closed the school use an entirely different language about the school. And so what you end up coming away from it with is this real understanding that the school is both, is a web of relationships. Mm -hmm. And so when people fight for a school that's closing, they're actually fighting for something that's alive for them. They're not just fighting for books and da da da. They're fighting for something that feels like a, a web within their community that they're losing. Um, and then the fourth chapter is hmm? no, yeah. And then the fourth chapter is it's just, it's really interesting. I never thought the third the third chapter is just a, super fascinating because as you like, I would never think of doing that, taking hearings and like looking at the, the words people use. And what you really begin to see is that like the parents are talking about the school as like human beings. And the administrators and a lot of the people who are city officials spend a lot of time talking about it like it's a thing, like it's an object, and like the kids are objects as well. So it's just a really, really fascinating analysis. And then the fourth chapter is talking about sort of like mourning, institutional mourning, mourning the closing of things, um, the end game of why we organize structures in the in the ways that we do. It's just, it's really fantastic. It's like, I've been thinking about it a lot. I've just been thinking about busing and how that basically creates a, a lack of connection sometimes or connection with the school because it's actually not in your neighborhood. So it's just, it's just, it's super, 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 super fascinating, super sad, but really endearing and really, really an amazing read. Um, so it sounds interesting. <laughs> I have very strong feelings about this topic. So <laughs> I know you, you should yeah. totally, you should totally read it. It's um, I think you'll find it really fascinating. That's <laughs> very hey, triggering. What's your media recommendation, Jay? So, our listeners may recall a very long-winded conversation. I was long-winded in the conversation about um, when I was talking with Trisha and Chris secretly while I was at the Department of Education about um, about the Department of Education and about how Congress uses taxpayer money and uses Department of Education to feed money into their districts, regardless of whether that money is actually having the intended impact. And so there's this article that I saw today in uh, the and inside higher ed, it's called Report Calls for Scrutiny of College Access Programs. It's very short, um, but it, it references a New America report. And I, I, I like New America stuff. That's a think tank in D.C. And there's this great line where um, it says the Council for Opportunity in Education, which, which represents grantees, successfully pushed for a ban in 2008 on randomized controlled trials to assess TRIO programs. 
So what that is saying is all this money uh, Congress sends to these programs that, that are all over the country. And this group representing the grantees who received that money succeeded in making it impossible to determine whether the programs are having any impact so they can just keep getting their money. And so I am with New America that that needs to be revisited. I have zero confidence that it will be revisited because, again, <laughs> Congress just wants to use taxpayer money to keep getting reelected. So, sorry, I, I feel terrible now being so skeptical. <laughs> but anyway, I like the article. It was very affirming because, like, I completely agree. Like, yes, can't we know whether the money is actually benefiting kids? Isn't that what it's for? All right, I'm done. Uh, two edu- two education <laughs> recommendations. Yeah, I know. I um I'm going to recommend nostalgia. I <laughs> the the feeling of uh the good feeling of times past. I was at the gym, and uh I was watching YouTube on my phone, and YouTube recommended a video to me. It was Tiffany. Remember Tiffany from the eighties? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're alone now. I think we're alone now. She re-recorded the song today, 32 years later, and like released a video. And uh, listen, I don't know who you were in 87. Maybe you weren't listening to Tiffany, but I did. And I love that song when I was little. <laughs> and uh, the video of it was her, who's now roughly the same age as me, like kind of doing all the silly dances. And she goes to the mall in her video. She's like a woman in her 40s, just like singing the song, whatever. And she seemed to be having a great time. And it just reminded me of what a great time it was in the late 80s, like how much fun I was having back then. Uh, And so I just, I I was thinking fondly about all day. I was smiling all day. So I recommend that people just have whatever media experience they were having a while back and just like relish in that for a minute because it was a lot of fun. It was totally fun. And not for nothing, she's a really strong singer. I don't know what happened to her. She's got an amazing voice, but... Yeah, so Tiffany. I felt like something happened with her recently. Didn't didn't she have another a resurgence? Like I don't maybe remember. 10 years ago maybe and I'm, and everyone was like, "Wow, what happened to her?" Same thing. <laughs> My recollection which may be wrong was like people were like, "Oh, Tiffany, she's so young, she has such a good voice." And then it was like, "Oh, Debbie Gibson, she's so young, yeah. she has a great voice and she writes her own songs." That was yeah. it. And it was like we forgot about Tiffany then. Yeah, there was well, can only be one girl. Well, actually, that's actually, and that's actually like a thing. I think I really do. Like, I think there's like, I no, think, I think like right. music collapses like that now. It's like, oh, there's only one person in the marketplace for this. Thanks. Oh, that's <laughs> that's why uh, Nicki Minaj attacked Cardi B. Yeah, like you both you keep doing it. <laughs> like, there's room for two. You people got two dollars. They could spend one on you and one on the other. <laughs> Right? Like, I mean, people have a tremendous amount of money. I will spend it on both of you. <laughs> I don't know. You know what? I think um, I think people have really limited imaginations. Yes. Remember in the 90s when Britney Spears came out? And then there were like, I, I shit you not, like six other blonde girls singing pop around the same time. Christine Aguilera, Mandy Moore, Hoku. Um, uh, uh, who's that one? Who was, she's dumb and she was married to that guy from the boy band. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, like. Oh, Jessica no, Simpson. Simpson. Jessica Simpson, yeah. She's sweet. Yeah, she's sweet now. She was dumb back then, probably for the cameras, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know why you put sure, that on camera. For the cameras. But, like, you know, I think people have limited and imagination. her sister, remember? What's her sister? Oh, who's her sister? Her sister had an album, and he married, and I think, you know who she got, he got, she got married to? 
Um, she got Diana Ross's son. Remember? (gasps) No. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think they got married. Diana Ross, like Tracy Ellis Ross's brother. Yeah, I think so. They got married. Gonna Google that. Look at it right now. (laughs) (laughs) She had like a brief career too. She had a brief career. Remember? She had like one hit song. I think though. I can't remember her name. Oh, you're talking about Ashley Simpson. Ashley, yes, 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 yes. Her career suddenly ended when she went nuts at the McDonald's. I don't know if you ever saw that. (laughs) I did not. No, you're right. Ashley Simpson and Evan Ross. Yes, they're together. You know, somebody was but somebody was making a point that that is the that's what millennials don't have. They don't have a range of like a like maybe five to 10 people who do a certain thing. Like you have to just have like one Beyonce and there can be no other, or, you know what I mean? Like, but, but, but maybe like in the nineties and before you could have like a group of like just okay people on one tier. <laughs> you didn't just have one queen. You know? <laughs> yeah, no. Two things. And, and then we're going to wrap up one, this Evan Ross character. So light skinned. I didn't expect yeah. that Two, um, I was talking to a 21-year-old today, and I was like, oh, I'm listening to my, uh, Janet Jackson. And he says, who's that? No. no. And I said to him, I said, oh, that's very funny. And he's like, no, no, I've never heard of that person. And no. I was like, I was like, you're joking. You're, like, that's not a real thing. He's like, no, really, I haven't. And that's why we don't like Justin Timberlake. Hello. And that's what I said, too. I was like, well. Did you say She's been erased. So that's why it's just deliberately erased. Now we know young people don't know. But you know what? Like that is weird because like we know people from our parents' generation and other generations. Like don't they have oldies station? But I guess there's no radio like that anymore. No, if you listen to Spotify and it knows you only like the stuff that came out last year, that's all you hear. That's the problem. See? This is why I'm telling you something wrong there. You need like all stations. Yeah. You need to talk about that next time because you know what? This podcast needs to end. We just okay. been chatting. So, <laughs> on that note, bye. 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 bye.